0: Well good morning. So glad that you could be with us today and welcome to those of you who are joining us online. I'm so glad that you could join us today. And for those of you who don't know me, I'm Pastor Graham. I'm the teaching pastor here at Elam Chapel and I'm just so glad to be with you on this third Sunday of Advent. I'm just enjoying the Christmas season with everyone and getting to be together. And uh, I'm really excited about our sermon for today. I think this is, I think this is a good one for a change. Oh, nice polite laughter, appreciate it. Let's have a word of prayer and then we'll get into the word. Heavenly Father, thanks that we can be together today. Thank you for for health, for those of us who can be healthy enough to be here and we pray for health for those of us who aren't and can only join us online, Lord. We thank you for family and for those of us that we can gather together and we pray for those who don't have family that they would find that connection in this season. Lord, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would open our minds and our hearts to what you have for us today, that we would come away different for having met you, and that, Lord, today would be an important day in our journey with you. pray all this in the name of your Son. Amen. So, I'm crowded here. We've been talking about the season of Advent and how Advent is a season of anticipation, that we are waiting for Jesus, that we are anticipating his arrival, and how in some ways we are remembering the ways that the people of God waited for the promised Messiah, and that in other ways we ourselves are anticipating Jesus' return, his second coming to set the world right. Right. We've talked about Jesus as our Savior and how the people hoped and prayed for a coming Messiah who would save them from their sin. We've talked about Jesus as judge, that he is the promised one who will defeat sin and set the world right. Today, we're talking about Jesus in the role of prophet. And I want to make a quick disclaimer and be clear about what I mean when I say that Jesus is a prophet. I certainly don't mean that Jesus was only a prophet, and there are some who would use that phrase to mean that Jesus is less than Christians would usually describe him as the Son of God. To describe Jesus as a prophet is to describe a lower role than the Son of God, that's true. There are many prophets, though, and Jesus is the only begotten Son of the Father, But that doesn't mean that Jesus didn't also act in the role of prophet, in the office of the prophet, and that's what we're going to look at today. In fact, Jesus was understood by those around him most as a prophet. He was more than a prophet, remember, but this was the framework that the people at the time had to work with. If we look at John chapter 6, verse 14, the people, so the crowds, the people who were observing Jesus, saw the sign that Jesus performed, and they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Now, even that, to describe him as the prophet, the one who is coming, is to describe something messianic that's going on. There are many prophecies involved Of Elijah in particular who would come again to make way for the the Lord, and that was actually John the Baptist, but we're getting ahead of ourselves. After the resurrection, there's another instance of this, and in fact, these are disciples of Jesus. This isn't the crowd. These are some of Jesus' disciples on the road to Emmaus. You're probably familiar with the story, but look at how they characterize Jesus. In Luke 24, verse 19, Jesus has been speaking with these people, and he asks, what things? He asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. Jesus himself also used the language and the title of prophet for himself. It wasn't just the people around him. He used that to self-describe. In Mark 6:4, Jesus goes back to Nazareth and the people don't believe him. And Jesus refers to himself as a prophet. He says, only in his hometown is a prophet dishonored. And in John 14, 24, Jesus doesn't use that word, but he describes the role exactly. He says, these words that you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. So let's talk about what it means to be a prophet. In the Old Testament, the office of prophet was very important. And it's not usually something that we think about today. In fact, we tend to be pretty dismissive of the idea of a prophet today. There's a great line in the song, The Sound of Silence, that says, the words of the prophets are written on the subway walls and in tenement halls. I will not do a disturbed impression for you. I don't know about you, but I don't usually take scribblings on subway walls very seriously. And in fact, the closest image that we have in the modern world to a prophet is the idea of a naked man standing on a street corner wearing a sandwich board that says the end is near. And that perception partly has to do with how the office of prophet has changed in response to Jesus and what he accomplished. Right? We don't view the office of the prophet the same way that the Old Testament did. But in the Old Testament, it was crucial Because let's remind ourselves what a prophet is. We usually associate a prophet with prophecy, and we usually associate that with the idea of telling the future. You know, the idea that Jesus was the prophesied Messiah. The idea that Ezekiel prophesied the fall of the city of Tyre. That Elijah went to the king of Israel, and he prophesied that it wouldn't rain for the next two years. Right. This is what we usually think about. Of course, the way that the book of Revelation prophesies about the end of the world. That's an important example I shouldn't forget. So when we talk about prophecy, that is usually what we're thinking of. And when we talk about Jesus as a prophet, it's important to point out that Jesus did engage in that sort of prophecy. In a passage that's referred to as the Olivet Discourse... We find it in Mark chapter 13 and it's paralleled in Matthew 24 and 25 and in Luke 21. Jesus speaks in the future tense of the coming destruction and judgment and he warns his followers to be ready. It's sort of a miniature book of Revelation and there's some debate as to whether this passage is is referring to the end of the world entirely or simply referring to the coming destruction of Jerusalem at the hands of the Romans, that would happen in 70 AD, but regardless, Jesus also engaged in future telling prophecy when he told his disciples that he was going to be captured, crucified, and killed, and and then that he would rise from the dead. For example, we find this in Mark chapter 8, verse 31, where we read, He, being Jesus, then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days, rise again. Mark 8 is right in the middle of that book. There are 16 chapters in Mark. So the crucifixion is a long way off at this point, narratively speaking. So Jesus also was engaged in the future telling that we normally associate with prophets and prophecy. So the idea that Jesus was a prophet in that sense is true. Right? That's good. That's, that's good. We should hang on to that. But this isn't all that prophets did. The first prophet that Israel had, officially speaking, was Moses. Moses is most famous not for telling the future, but for bringing the law to Israel. And this, this fundamentally is what prophecy is about. It's not about telling the future, though it can be. It's about speaking the words of God to the people. Because in the Old Testament, they didn't have the Holy Spirit, right? God hadn't sent the Spirit onto all the believers. Whereas we can hear from God any time that we'll pray and listen, or any time that we'll open our Bibles and allow the Spirit to speak to us individually, if ancient Israel wanted to hear from God, they needed to have a messenger come and literally speak the words. Right? They had to have that. So Moses was that guy for Israel. He told them what God had to say, he delivered God's judgments, and he brought them God's law to follow. But then a crazy thing happened. He got some gray in his beard, his hair started to thin out, and Moses got old. It's a very strange idea, right? Can you imagine that this person would get old? It was very weird, but don't worry. God isn't surprised by human aging and God gives Moses another message to pass on to the people of Israel. In Deuteronomy 18:18, 18, 18, we read, "I, God speaking, I will raise up for them a prophet like you, Moses, from among their fellow Israelites, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he will tell them everything that I command him." And God does. The first leader that God raises up is Joshua, but he raises up many more prophets. Samuel, Nathan, Elijah, Isaiah, Malachi, and so many others. And they speak the words that God gives them. We find these words over and over again in the Bible. This phrase, the word of the Lord came to. We find it in Joshua 1, 2. We find it in Hosea 1.1. We find it in Joel 1.1. Many of the prophets begin with this phrase, or one like it, that God's word, God's message comes to this prophet, and now he is relaying that message to the people. The messages from the prophets came in basically two forms, but they always came down to the same thing. The first form of the message from the prophets was Stop sinning, or this is going to go badly. Let's take the prophet Micah chapter 2 as an example. The chapter opens with these words. Micah chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. Woe to those who plan iniquity, to those who plot evil on their beds. At morning's light, they carry it out because it is in their power to do it. They covet fields and seize them and houses and take them. They defraud people of their homes. They rob them of their inheritance. Therefore, the Lord says, I am planning disaster against this people from which you cannot save yourselves. You will no longer walk proudly for it will be a time of calamity. In that day, people will ridicule you. They will taunt you with this mournful song. We are utterly ruined. My people's possession is divided up. He takes it from me. He assigns our fields to traitors. Notice how this prophet outlines the evil that Israel does and also the calamity that will befall them as a result. What's Micah's message? Stop sinning. Stop. Romans 6.23 reminds us that the wages of sin is death. This is a consistent theme across the prophets, both those who get their own books, like Micah, and those who feature in more narrative books, such as Elijah in the book of 1 Kings. Nathan the prophet is another good example. When David had Uriah killed to cover up his adultery with Bathsheba, that's a lot of names if you're not familiar with the story. Nathan went to King David first with a story to get David angry at injustice, and then with these words, Second Samuel twelve seven to ten. And remember the framework we just looked at. Then David Nathan said to David, "You are the man." This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I anointed you over Israel, and I delivered you from the hands of Saul. I gave your master's house to you, and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all Israel and Judah. And if this, all this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why? Did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your own house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. Do you see the pattern? The failure of the people to live up to their commitments. They're being unfaithful to God and how it carried consequences. It still carries consequences. The prophets then would go to the people and remind them of this. So that was the first sort of message that the prophets would bring. The second form of the message was God's faithfulness is everlasting. He is your comfort. Let's return to our example in Micah chapter 2. After all of those words that we read earlier, the words of woe and coming disaster, look at how the chapter ends in in verses 12 and 13. I will surely gather all of you, Jacob. I will surely bring together the remnant of Israel. I will bring them together like sheep in a pen, like a flock in its pasture. The place will throng with people. The one who breaks open the way will go up before them. They will break through the gate And go out. Their king will pass before them, the Lord at their head. The book of Isaiah spends the first 40 chapters calling Israel to repentance and reminding them of what will happen if they don't. Those first 40 chapters are hard reading. But then in the second half of the book, the tone shifts, and Isaiah calls out comfort to God's people if only they would return to God. Isaiah 43, verse 1, we read, But now this is what the Lord says, He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. Both of these messages, the warning of judgment and the offering of peace, always come down to the same thing. Come back to God. In the language of the Old Testament, we would say return to covenant faithfulness. Jesus makes a sad and beautiful prophetic proclamation in exactly this vein in Matthew chapter 23, verse 37. Jesus says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how long have I, how often have I longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. This is the message of the prophets. Come back to God. He loves you. He wants you. God can blot out your sin, but if your sin remains, it will be terrible. Please, come. So all through the Old Testament, the word of the Lord comes to the prophets, and they relay that message to the people. But then we get to the New Testament, and the description of Jesus' ministry does not start with those words. It does not begin, the word of the Lord came. Instead, in John 1.14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And this is important because it means that even though we can and should use the language of prophet to describe Jesus, in a very real sense, Jesus is something akin to the ultimate form of the prophet, the Platonic ideal, the mega evolution, the super saiyan of prophets. The Bible actually uses language that kind of evokes this idea in Hebrews chapter one, verses one and two, where the writer says, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. The writer of Hebrews is juxtaposing all the other prophets against Christ. The entire point of the letter to the Hebrews is how superior Jesus is to all other forms of religion that they've ever had. And to that point, he also makes the argument that Jesus is superior to all the other prophets. So prophets bring messages. What is the message that Jesus brings us from the Father? Well, Matthew 23, 37, which we already read, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often have I longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were not willing. Jesus speaks of our sin and of his desire for us to be together. Mark chapter one, verse 15, Jesus says the kingdom of God has come near. Repent, believe the good news. Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 to 30, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. John three sixteen 16-17. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Jesus' message for us is that God loves us. We are sinful and separated from God, but God has made a way through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for us to be restored to him. Come, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. I'll leave you with this final verse, this final call from the last page of the Bible. Revelation 22, verse 17. The spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the word made flesh who dwelt among us. Thank you for your spirit that indwells us, speaking to each one of us in a way that only we can hear, in a way that makes the message special and individual to each one. Lord, we need you desperately. Help us to remember that as we go through our weeks. Bring to our minds all that we need to live for you. Help us to be witnesses of the good that you have done, how you have rescued us and saved us from evil. We pray that you would be with us this week. In your name we pray, amen.